Hello and welcome to Didn't See It Coming, the show that's all about brands that are resilient enough to thrive and survive in today's crazy world. I'm Mark Stoiber and I've been building brands for 25 years. Join me as we explore the brands that have learned from the past, that are looking towards the future, and are becoming more successful because of it today. pleasure for me today to host a friend of mine, uh, Odette Excel. Odette and I met, what was it, five, six years ago now? Or even longer? Yeah, I reckon something like that. Something like that, yeah. We met five, six years ago through an organization called Conscious Capitalism. And even back then, I remember Odette was, uh, she stood out from the crowd like crazy. Uh, she was creating a new model of charity and tying it in a way to for-profit companies that I'd never heard of anybody doing before. It was fantastic. She also drew people to her because she had this natural magnetism of somebody who was a, a real leader. Um, I, you know, you dig a little bit into your story, Odette, you've got a pretty darn impressive history long before uh, this idea, which we're going to describe in a minute, long before this idea ever came up. Um, maybe I, I don't want to describe your past for anybody. Uh, maybe you could just go through it all the way back to, you know, uh, how you got your start. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. It's a total pleasure to be chatting to you, Mark, I have to say. Down here on a beautiful Sydney day while you're up there at the, in, in the, uh, as the sun goes down exactly. uh, in, the, in the States. Yeah, exactly. Um, I can give you a wee bit of a thumbnail sketch. I mean, it's funny, isn't it, when you look at people's CVs, you know, they, they always appear to be, you know, so much more glamorous than the real truth. So let me um, let me tell yeah. you the, the truth of the story. You know, I've had a, an enormously lucky life, enormously lucky life, um, which uh, started with me being born and bred a New Zealander, or a Kiwi, as we call them down here, um, and, uh, you know, born in a country where values sort of sat at the base of everything that everybody thought about and did. Right. Um, and so, you know, from my earliest times as a thinking adult, I was thinking about disparity, um, injustice and, um, and social justice. Um, and that led me uh, through a kind of a winding path to have an enormously lucky career um, through, through business, law and banking. Um, I decided to try to affect change in the world. I really needed to learn about you know, the way power worked and the way that money moved. And and I did that, you know, with, you know, huge opportunities opening before me. Uh, first as a lawyer, uh, then as a banker, I had the chance to um, be the CEO of a publicly traded bank when I was um, still reasonably a, a, a young. And no, no, hold on, hold on a minute here. You you weren't reasonably young. You were one, uh, you know, you were a managing director of one of Bermuda's three, three banks, right? And uh, you were one of the youngest women in the world, to run a publicly traded bank. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's true. So let's let, yeah, all right. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's that, that's all true, but I, I tell you the other part that really is true is it was an enormous series. I think you know when doors open you got to leap through them boots and all and mm. and so you know I had the chance to do that. So so I had the incredible experience of uh, advising balance sheets and my role as a lawyer doing project finance work, structured finance work, corporate finance advisory work and then to have the chance to be responsible for balance sheets and running a bank, right. which is an amazing, um, a, a different way of looking at things and was a wonderful learning. Right, right. Um, 
and um, and so through that, I also chaired the Bermuda Stock Exchange. Um, I actually signed the five dollar note in Bermuda, which my my social activist family found completely astonishing and quite hilarious. But but um, for me, it was a wonderful uh, kind of rounding off of a very lucky journey through business to give me eyes to see uh, when I looked at the nonprofit world and I looked at ways of affecting social change to kind of give me eyes to see things a wee bit differently. Now um, you, you were no you were no slouch. I mean, in, in 1995, you were elected a global leader uh, for tomorrow by the World Economic Forum. Now, that is, that's a big deal. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was, I actually, there's a funny story about that. I have to tell you that when I, I got a, um, uh, a letter by fax back in those days from Yehudi Menuhin, and it was over Christmas saying, you know, that the World Economic Forum were going to bestow this honour on me. And I actually thought it was a bunch of my friends playing a joke on me. Um, and, 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 you know, there was a sort of a Christmas joke. Yeah. Uh, so, however, as it turned out, it wasn't. Because I, I was very young and at the helm of a, uh, of a, uh, of a bank, um, and, and I guess maybe because I had always tried to talk about reconciling disparity with the power of business. So right. it was an enormous honour. And, um, and actually, as it turns out, um, the World Economic Forum and, and being invited to WEF um, for, you know, a few years and getting that award, it actually led to my connection with... Um, Uganda, which uh, and the first lady of Uganda, which so a lot has unfolded from that. But yes, it was a huge honour, and I and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm enormously grateful for some of the awards and honours that um, that I've had and that we've right. had. Right. Uh, y- YPO is in there too. You're the Young Presidents yeah. <laughs> Organization. Oh my goodness. I have to tell you though, you know, it's funny because um, you know every time it, it's lovely, it's wonderful, and I'm enormously grateful to be honoured um, in the way that, that people honour me. But the I'm also determined to talk the truth always and the truth is that the things that I'm honoured for are not the product of me alone they're the product of an astonishing number of people amazing people Um, my work has uh, has led me to a really joyous um, uplifting life and Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a wee bit about that Um, and the heroes of the piece in the world that I live in are not me and the other people you know lucky westerners who who work with me and we work that work you know together as a team heroes of the piece of the people in the developing world that um, are part of the team and the communities that we provide service to so I'm always a wee bit um, concerned that you know we all love a good story and we all love an icon but you create barriers between people when you put um, uh, too many awards in the way and too many titles in the way and that's the last thing I um, you know, I, I really what I want to model is that anybody, you know, could give it a go to affect social change. And, and I want to be an example of that, not an example of something that's unreachable. Well, you also, I mean, if you build a tribe, uh, people support things that are bigger than themselves. Yes. And if they find that they're just supporting you in your, in your quest for glory, the, they're going to go away pretty quickly. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? I think that's really true. You know, it's all about what stands, where the integrity is yeah. uh, and, and what it is that's kind of bringing people together. Right. And I think in leadership, you know, you actually have to try very hard to be a better person than you really are mm-hmm. uh, and you have to hold humility the whole way because the minute you lose that and you start to believe your own press and your own branding, you kind of lose the plot completely. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
Exactly. So we go forward. We go forward. We look at we look at um, what was at the time ISIS is now Adara. I mean, everybody, I don't think we have to dig into why it's not called ISIS anymore. But, um, <laughs> or an extra branding issue that we exactly. had. Exactly. We, we, we fixed that late last year. Exactly. We were moving on. That's all we have to say. Yeah. So describe um, destru- describe the two halves of Adara. You know, you've okay. got the for profit and the not for profit. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Adara group is is made up of two parts, as you say, um, and they work absolutely hand in hand. The teams are completely intermixed. Um, the first part is the business engine. So that's mm-hmm. corporate finance team, um, investment banker types, uh, corporate tax specialists. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> you know, people who come out of that part of the world. Right. Uh, and their job is to be in the markets ad- advising big companies um, and raising capital and, and of corporate advisor function, um, but they're doing it to generate revenue not for the advantage but for the disadvantage. So their job is to relentlessly make money using their corporate finance skills, mm-hmm. um, knowing that that money is donated across, literally across the desk almost in terms of yeah. the the, uh, the way we sit together, but across to our uh, international development organisation, um, Adara Development, which is now a truly global uh, organisation touching tens of thousands of people a year in poverty. Yeah. And that, that organisation is staffed by amazing development specialists all over the world. We've got a couple of offices in the States, actually, one in Seattle and one in Montana, a clinical yeah. office and a, a research office. Um, yeah. And people on that side of the fence, uh, if you like, well, it's not really a fence, it's more like a bridge. Yeah. Well, um, a desk in your case. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, the people on that part of the uh, the desk or the bridge know that their job is to relentlessly think about how to provide evidence based best practice service to people in poverty, right. uh, particularly uh, women and children um, yeah. in remote places. So we've all got one mission, but we have different skills that we bring uh, to the party, if you like. Well, um, I, I, I can't underline, though. I mean, when I first met you all those years ago, how impressed I was and, and what a big problem you just pointed a finger at. You know, there are the two halves of the coin. There are the folks that make the money and there are the fo- folks who are in not-for-profit who need the money and they both seem to be missing something. I remember you and I had this conversation where on the one side the people who are making so much money often feel a void in their soul and they don't know how to fill that and then the folks who are in the not-for-profit sector uh, they're constantly living with the fear of having their last paycheck. You know, they just have no security at all. Is yeah. that, that's still pretty accurate, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. You put your finger right on it. And, and um, it, it, when I started, actually, it was this lucky chance to run the bank. When you're running a bank, you're thinking all the time about, you know, matching your assets and your liabilities. And then when it, with those eyes, I started to look at the nonprofit world, and it really struck me like a bolt out of the blue that that was one of the really big problems and struggles that nonprofits had as they mm-hmm. tried trying desperately to get donor money year on year on year Mm -hmm. um, with donors who move on with the things they're passionate about, but they have very, very serious and long-term responsibilities on the liability side to the client groups they serve. And that doesn't, that goes across all client groups, you know, the mentally ill, the homeless, you know, for us, people in poverty in remote places. Um, And that's what really was the 
for me, the genesis of the idea to try a new model. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, once I got into the banking world, I found it was full of people who were absolutely brilliant, um, many of whom really deep values, but who felt this sort of emptiness. They loved their work. It was intellectual chess, but yeah. what was it all about? So right. trying to find a marriage of those two needs, yeah. you know, um, is a bit of a marriage made in heaven, I reckon. Um, and it's been a 17-year journey for us trying to figure out how you do that and how you do it well. Um, um, and and it's taught me really um, that everybody you know wants to do something great with their life. That you know having a purpose in your life is just so meaningful and right. enriching. Right, and, right, right. and it's really about you know making it not too hard for people to to cross that divide to use their skills. You know, there's a great TED talk. I can't remember the name of the guy who gave it, but he talks about mastery, purpose, and autonomy mm-hmm. being the key things you need to be happy at work. And mm-hmm. and that really struck me as as right. So I mm-hmm. guess we're trying to bring mastery, purpose, and autonomy uh, in our own small way uh, to the the INGO community, the international nonprofit community, and the banking community to to show case a way that, that you can meet those needs and really do something great at the same time. Right. Now, it, it's funny because you and I had this conversation a short while ago where we uh, both agreed, you know, lawyers have the capacity to, to do pro bono work. They can do part of their time pro bono. Um, in the field that I'm in, advertising and branding, we do it all the time. We take on pro yes. bono clients. But there is something about banking and pro bono that doesn't get along. <laughs> they haven't had a chance to do it. So why is that? Uh, isn't that interesting? It's funny, isn't it? Because when I started talking about, um, you know, the, we've just recently expanded our business quite significantly and created a structure that I'm happy to, to chat about where we've basically uh, given the ability for investment bankers to use their skills pro bono to do what we do, generate revenue for, for good. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I first started talking about pro bono and investment banking, people thought it was some sort of bar joke, you know, like mm-hmm. the duck and the rabbit walk into the bar exactly. and, you know, one of them says. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but it, was, it really struck me once I started to look at it that there was a need for a construct where a, a way, I had so many investment bankers say to me, oh, I, I really admire that you use your skills for good. Yeah. You know, I feel my skills are sort of useless for the wider right. good. You know, putting right. aside the fact that, you know, banks are, are engines of economy and all the rest of it and creating employment, but that sense that your skills are really doing something directly helping people in, in huge need. Right. Um, and and so trying to, I've worked quite hard over the last couple of years to come up with a, a construct, a structure that investment bankers and bankers all over the world could use. So they'll be just like the wonder of, you know, law firms who do pro bono, as you say, yeah. advertising, you know, yes. engineers who can do it. Yeah. I, I want that to become part of the meme yeah. around banking, yeah. Uh, yeah. part of the way that people think that, you know, if I have this career, I can also, during that course of that career, use my skills directly to benefit those in need. Now, um, if you think about it too, because, you know, you're looking at a, a group of people, the largest group of people and in the workforce today are millennials, and these folks aren't working just for the money anymore. They right, want a company right. that makes meaning. So how how has that experience come back to you with the whole millennial yeah. thing? Um, if, oh, uh, you, we love, talked, we talked about how many people you've got working for you. You've got hundreds of people working for you now. Yeah, no, and you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Gen Y and millennials um, because they're coming to the equation with a completely different 
uh, definition of what success is in their lives. Right. Um, and it's quite funny to find yourself. I had one millennial who told me that I was, who came out of the impact investing space, who said that um, they, they thought of me as heritage, which, I, and I, I laughed my head off and said to him, look, I know that's meant to be a compliment, but can I give you a piece of advice? Never, ever call me heritage again. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I love 52. it. Um, however, but I, yeah, I love working with that, that community. We have a lot of them who come to us who are trying to crack that nut of, right. you know, how can you have a life where you can use your skills, build security, but at the same time, um, do something great for the world? Now, and how can we redefine business? And and so, you know, that's been a wonderful thing to, to see that rise. And I think it's an right. unstoppable rise. Right. And you've also got, I mean, on the other hand, you've got, uh, we were talking about this previously, uh, you've got you've got people who are investment bankers who have made uh, gajillions of dollars. And for them, it isn't about the money anymore. It's about the fun. And if you can mm-hmm. harness this fun to doing something good, that just makes the fun more fun. So yeah. you you work a lot uh, right now. You're you're working on a new model. You said um, where you're harnessing some of the most powerful bankers in Australia. Yeah, no, that's right, and we're so so pleased to. We just launched in the last uh, couple of weeks, and in fact, the project name is called the Adara Playground, and the technology that underpins this concept is called the Playground, and that's for exactly the reason that you say, right. which is that deals are fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the structure is, and it's this structure, this idea of bringing a structure that others can use is very simple. It's that we've created a panel for our business, for our corporate finance business, and very, very senior investment bankers can join the panel for a period of two years. And mm-hmm. if they join, they'll agree that they will work for our corporate finance business, as well as at the same time as they're working, running their own big banks or whatever they're doing, mm-hmm. um, they'll work for us on at least one mandate per year entirely for free. So we have a much deeper bench of talent at the front of our corporate uh, corporate finance business mm-hmm. and our ability, the revenue that, that they earn will earn for us will go, of course, straight through to our development organisation. Um, so, and for them, it gives them the chance to do deals and, in fact, we're going to work them on deals in pairs mm-hmm. and they're quite excited about that because many of them have worked competitively against each other for years and years right. and so they're now going to be working on corporate deals, corporate finance transactions together. And when they signed, I had a lovely moment where I was watching some of them and they were all signing up documents before we launched in the press. And I was watching them shaking hands with each other and many of them saying to each other, I'm really looking forward to working with you. And I thought, wow, that's a beautiful thing. They're going to collaborate for good using their skills. That's fantastic. yeah, it was a nice feeling. So it's called the Adara Panel, uh, mm-hmm. the new business, uh, which is all owned in a trust for the benefit of the development organisation. So all money will, you know, there's no chance money will end up in any private hands. It's all right. going across right. to the work. Um, it's called Adara Partners. It's just launched. Um, and I'm very excited about it because to me, this is the next step to take what we've learned in 17 years, right. uh, create real sustainability, and then offer that model up to the world. And and you can imagine if every bank in the world had a panel structure or yeah. a playground where they said to their new employees or the, and their senior leaders, you can run deals through the playground, and those right. deals, the money that's made on those deals, will all go, you know, to to great causes. Imagine how powerful that would be in, in affecting change. Well, let's 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 imagine that for a second. I mean, what what sort of what sort of scope are we talking about here? This 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 could very well be the most profound thing that's happened to not for profit since 
not-for-profits were invented, <laughs> you know, because... <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a big claim, but it's well, certainly but a hope think it's about it. Yeah, think I, about it. Think yeah, about it. Think about it. Like, suddenly potential. what you're doing, you're, 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 you're um, siphoning off a revenue stream uh, that these fellas and ladies are perfectly happy to get uh, part ways with because it'll help them, you know, save their soul. And you are funneling off uh, millions of dollars here. Yes, and it could be really significant. And, wow. And, and, and I'm really hoping that it also, you know, when I talk about the meme, you know, the way that people think, the kind mm-hmm. of unconscious way that we all think together, I'm, I'm hoping that as this works um, and as we can really showcase it, that we're going to change the meme so people can see how easy it is to use skills for good and how right. great it is to use skills for good. And, right. yeah, imagine, imagine what a wonderful contribution that will be if we can make that work um, and really, really showcase it. And I, I've been doing that basically for 17 years, but now I've got the deepest bench of talent. Probably the 10 most famous bankers in Australia have lined up to join us, including mm-hmm. chairs of the largest publicly traded banks, the CEOs of the biggest integrated investment bank, the chair of the largest uh, independent investment bank, senior non-executive directors. It's a really big roll call that lined up with me. Um, and we fully intend uh, to showcase how this is done and then offer it to the world because, yeah, that would be a good contribution, wouldn't it, if we could make it work and get others to adopt the well, idea. You know, for me, as a, as a person who I love the whole idea of brands and scaling brands, um, to me, I look at this and I go, why couldn't we roll this out for every business? You know, that, yeah. that, that every profession could have something like this when you get to a certain level or even when you're starting out that, that you can push a button and boom, uh, the money that you make gets uh, siphoned off for a good cause. Man, what a wonderful thing to do around November when Christmas is coming and everybody just says, you know what, I'm going to do something that it's so easy. I'm just going to press a button and off the money goes and I feel really good about it. Yeah, that's a lovely way to think about it, isn't it? You yeah. know, it, it, it really is. And that's a fantastic big vision that it actually transcends uh, you know, not just investment banking and banking, but that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think, as you, you rightly say, the, many people in many industries have shown that that's something that they love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's really, you know, it's our job down here now to make sure that we really nail this for investment banking. We nail it well, and then we share it as widely as we possibly can to encourage others, you know, to do it, do what we're doing, but do it bigger, better, and smarter than we're doing it. Right. Which, of course, is always what you want to achieve. Right. Let's look at let's look game. at the let's look at the other side of the table now, the not for profit side. Um, working for <clears throat> Adara, Adara mm-hmm. must uh, there must be a very very attractive call to people who are saying, hey, you know what? I'm gonna I want to go into the not for profit, into the social side of things, but I want to work with a group where I know that I'm gonna have security. If I go and do field work, that I'm not gonna be cut off and suddenly have to pay for my own flight home. Yeah. Uh, how's this? How's this rubbing off on the folks who are working on the social side? Yeah, I think that I mean, we have amazing people working with us. If any of you, um, the people that are listening to this, want to have a look, have a look at adaragroup.org mm-hmm. or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. But um, uh, I'm always. It takes me. Um, you know, takes my breath away the quality of the people that have have joined this journey. And in terms of what grabs them about Adara, I think there are a few things. But I think the model underpinning not only the financial viability but also their own security mm-hmm. um, is one. But I think it's also that it's innovative. You know, we're quite contrarian. Um, we do what what our communities think uh, tell us is right on the ground. We're not subject to political whim. Uh, we don't take money, for instance, from governments. We don't give money to governments. Right. Uh, 
Um, we've got deep, deep research teams, so amazing uh, uh, University of Montana uh, anthropologists working with us right from mm -hmm. the beginning, big clinical practice um, operation running from Seattle. So they know, people who join us know we, we really work hard to do the work incredibly well. And what's taken away from them, it's not just about um, the, the insecurity side, it's also being driven by donors who don't necessarily know what's right on the ground. Right. So um, because the financial viability is underpinned by the businesses, mm -hmm. uh, they know that they're not going to be in the middle of a, for instance, we're in the middle of a massive catastrophe uh, rescue relief operation in Nepal. We've got right. many staff in Nepal been working there. There's no suggestion that we take a donor trip up there right now because our donors want to go and see what happens. You know, we, right. just, we just don't do that stuff. We don't have to do that stuff um, right. because we can do what's right and, and what's the best thing. We're not forced by circumstance of our funding stream uh, uh, into doing stuff that we're we quietly think, oh, it might not be the best thing uh, on yeah. the ground. So I think people are attracted by that too, but it's vibrant as well. You know, we're pretty quirky. We're pretty noisy. It's like that all over the world. There's right. a lot of laughter. Um, but, yeah, it's a, a fantastic team. And, and I should say, you know, we do take – we do have a number of wonderful um, external uh, funding partners, donors. And, right. and I think the reason donors have come to us over the years is because, because they like the model and the business pays all the core support, all the admin, all the emergency costs. So anybody who's ever given us money, a hundred cents of the dollar's gone on the ground. Right. Um, and I think people have really liked that. We've, we've raised quite a lot of money for the Nepal relief work. And I think it's because people know we, we run large teams and the money is going straight on the ground um, and they like it. So, right. yeah, I think people come to Adara for different reasons, but gee, it's a vibrant, wonderful team yeah. and I'm so, so proud of it. I'm so proud right. to be a part of it. I can't tell you. How has um, how have the projects changed? I, I remember when we first spoke years ago, it was all about Africa. You were building roads and schools in Africa. Um, how have your projects evolved, and, and what have you learned from the way they've evolved? Crikey, I've learned. We've made a lot of mistakes. All you know, I would say this: the biggest mistakes have been made by me when I moved too fast alone. The greatest success is always with the team. Right. Um, so the projects of the, the work's evolved over the years. You know, we've learned in, we've lived in 17 years through Ebola outbreaks, three of them. We've lived through a 10-year Maoist uh, uh, civil war in Nepal. Um, you know, and we've lived we've made, we've learned from our mistakes. We you know we moved too quickly in the earlier days. Um, intervened in communities, doing stuff that wasn't right for that community. Um, the first thousand latrines we built, I think 970 of them turned into goat sheds. Um, so <laughs> so it's, been, it's been quite a journey. However, in terms of where, where it's evolved um, now, again, one of the great things about having a, a cornerstone funder in the way we do with the business is we have relentlessly stared down our mistakes and funded research, really good research all the way through to see where we're messing it up mm -hmm. and then altered. So where are we now? When we're known in the world, so we and we run some research service, and then big pillar for us now is knowledge sharing, trying to help others, um, you know, avoid the mistakes we made. Right. Um, but in, in terms of the work now, um, we're very well known uh, in the world, for, particularly for our work with neonatal. Um, uh, intensive care, you know, babies at risk in very remote settings. So, mm -hmm. so we're part of the Every Newborn Action Plan run out of the states. We're very connected now to some of the big global leaders in health and trying to help 
showcase and train how you run maternal infant support facilities at a tertiary level in very, very remote places. Um, so for us, that's Uganda. Mm -hmm. um, so so our tiniest clients are our premies and babies that are joined right. us babies of HIV mums. We're also pretty well known um, for the rescue of kids from traffickers. We fell into that work. In, not, not, I, we, not I, we, I, I read you, about actually. that. In, yeah, in Nepal. I remember yeah. the, there's the, the yeah. latest story. Yeah. yeah, so, um, and that came, trafficking, a lot of trafficking ha happens when there is a civil war, um, as there was uh, for us for 10 years in Nepal. We got involved in that work and learned our way through it, and that work involved, has involved us learning about rescue, learning about custody, learning about reconnection with family of origin. Now our kids have gone from being three to being 14 and 15, and uh, so now we're learning about how you manage broods of teenagers into mm -hmm. independent living. Yeah, when you um, figure that out, you tell me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's a little frightening when we mm. realise how many of them there are. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we're also, we've, that work's really uh, evolving into a big anti-trafficking campaign as we do a lot of that work. And in the Nepal, at the moment, because of the Nepal earthquake, a lot of trafficking starting to happen. Yeah. So the government uh, has been calling our teams in to intercept groups of kids that are on their way out of the country, uh, supposedly to get education, but obviously uh, to be trafficked. Mm -hmm. And so we're very, at the moment, you know, really putting our hands into that at that level as well. Right. Um, and then the final thing we're pretty well known for is very, very remote health and education. And to give you a sense of that, our most remote project when I first went there is 25 days walk from the nearest road. Wow. Yeah. It's a complete privilege to be up there, wow. I tell you. In fact, I'm supposed to be going, getting up there myself again in a few months' time. And <laughs> this morning, I got up, put my trekking boots on, and went for a good long walk because I'm going to need to get myself fit to be back up there from the oh early days when, I, when I was up there. <laughs> but, um, so, and it's, a, it's really specialised work because mm -hmm. all the things you take for granted about delivering services to people, you don't have when you don't have roads that are nearby or, the, or, or ease of transport mm -hmm. um, and communities are very much in a cultural context that's different to yours when you're working remotely. So so we're pretty well known for that as well. Right, right. Um, now, there, is, there, is, there, is there a model here? You know, my, my passion is is helping companies and brands figure out a way to stay resilient into the future. That's, that's yeah. what I love to do yep. um, when I'm not talking to folks like you. Uh, but is there a future here? Is this, are we looking at the future NGO or non-governmental organization model here? Is this what's going to come? I think that this is going to contribute to what's going to come. I feel, you know, my, it, there's a million different ways to cut this cake. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I think for me, you know, the place that I sit in it is I believe in engagement. I believe in reaching across divide. I believe that we only change the world when we do it together, you know, not when we stand on different mountains and throw stones at each other. Mm -hmm. And, so, and I, so I think that the NGO sector, you know, is going to very much... Um, have, have to learn, we'll look, we'll continue to look for partners in the business community and the mm -hmm. business community, um, you know, to meet that need, that void, you know, to make sure that they, they can attract the best and the brightest. We'll need mm -hmm. to figure out how they can use their businesses and their skills for purpose and keep their staff completely engaged um, through that. Right. So, so yes, I think we're going to see more of this. I think we're seeing more of it already, the shared uh, value movement, the multi-stakeholder movement, some of the things that were talked about at Conscious Capitalism, yeah. um, you know, all those years ago. I think this is definitely a trend and, and we're one example of, of uh, uh, how to uh, kind of engage across divide mm -hmm. um, and, um, 
and delighted to be early in the space and able to help others who, who want to find a way in. Do you think Adara could become sort of um, uh, not just a best practice, that term is so overused, but almost become a broker between uh, people who are looking to do good and people who need the backing so that they can do good? Do you, do you see yourself uh, sharing this this learning as some sort of a creative commons or creating an app for that, you know? Yeah, so I love, it the, way, I love the way you think. <laughs> You've got great, great vision. There's no question. We certainly, knowledge sharing is a huge build for us. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a lot of um, discussion going on in, uh, amongst the sort of senior leaders of the organisation about, okay, how, what, what form does that take? You know, mm-hmm. we, we share knowledge locally, we share it nationally or regionally, nationally and globally. How do we do that, you mm-hmm. know, to, to touch as many lives as we can? Mm-hmm. And yes, I love your idea of, of the commons um, and it does a technology opens up huge opportunity for us to be able to share. Mm-hmm. Um, the complexity around sharing, all that we've done is, you know, it's a bit like giving birth to a child. Every child is slightly different. Every time you do this work, every time you're running a business, every time you're doing the work on the ground, there's a different so- social, cultural, personality construct that you've got to work right. through. So right. it's not – I don't believe that there's uh, so much that, that it's about replicating. I think it's about modelling um, – uh, showcasing and then supporting others to right. find their own way to achieve the same right. ends. And right. yes, you're going to see a lot of us in that space in the next five to ten years, right. uh, trying to help as much as we can. And and I and I do hope that by people knowing about what we do, that they'll see that it's possible, that right. they'll dream things that are outside of the box, that they'll think of different ways to cut, you know, approach old, you know, roads that have been walked down for many years that are no longer kind of getting people to the end they want to get to. Right. Yeah, it seems like it seems like the world is moving very quickly. And, you know, I also look at, um, I also look at uh, things like, you know, with the Wall Street move, uh, the um, Occupy movement, rather, and austerity. And, and yep. uh, you know, there's a lot of... Of alienation happening in the financial sector. You know, the other 99% aren't looking at the bankers too, with too nice an eye right now. Yes. I think there could be a, a, a sort of, this could become a brand pillar in the rehabilitation of, of banking. You know, like that banking starts to turn its image around and because it seems entirely doable and it, it, I think it would make people a lot more excited about entering the sector. Yes. You know, yeah. instead of working just for the dollar that they work for something that's bigger than themselves that way. They, you know, they, they belong to a tribe that's global as opposed to just, you know, a whole bunch of folks in suits who are, you know, working on making money. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And brand is, is such a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. I think the trick is, um, and you know so much more about this than me, but it's got to be real. It can't yeah. be just, you know, the early days of the environmental movement, there was quite a bit of sort of greenwashing, I guess was the term. Right. Um, and so, you know, when you run a for-purpose business or you run a business that has a purpose deeply embedded in it, mm-hmm. it's got to be very real because people know what authentic is and they can sniff out a mile away whether or not it's all about looking good in marketing or whether it's actually real and actually there's a corporate and senior intent to affect change. Right. Um, so, but yes, I think the divide that we're seeing, you know, the disparity, that terrible statistic that, you know, the 85 richest people in the world have the combined wealth of the bottom three and a half billion. Yeah. Um, that is unsustainable. At, yeah. every, at every level, not just from a values proposition, but from an economic, social proposition. You know, we, we need to find ways to affect significant change. Right. Um, and, and um, you know, this is a, our drop in the ocean of ideas to, to, um, to affect that change. Now, uh, you talked about authentic brand. I mean, that's uh, it's one of the, the, the keynotes that I give is all about authentic brands. To you, the hallmarks of the authentic brand are, what are they? 
<laughs> authenticity. <laughs> authenticity. Got to be real. <laughs> well, there's got to be a person be behind it, right? Yeah, you know, there's got to yeah, be no, a person. Absolutely. I, I think that be, yeah. it's more than just a person. Be, you've yeah. I, you've hit on a few things to me. You hit yeah. on okay. You're you're the real deal. Uh, you go and strap on your hiking boots and hike, you know, 25 kilometers up, 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 up river to, to the camp where they're doing 25 education. Days. Oh, 25 <laughs> days. Good Lord. Good. Yeah. That's very authentic. That's, that's as authentic as it gets. Um, and then you talk about, you know, the hundred uh, percent transfer of, yeah. of money. So that is all very transparent. So transparency, obviously big deal. Um, that you can actually meet the people who are doing this. So the brand is the people. It's not some sort of construct that's put up like, you know, uh, Mr. Clean or the Clydesdales for Budweiser. Yes. Uh, what else yes. is there? Yeah, no, I think you, you put you well. First of all, I, I would add to that um, uh, integrity, mm-hmm. um, fullness. Um, it's, and that's just the thing we talked about at the start. It's very easy to be pushed into becoming an icon. Right. Um, and, and I believe that honesty, you know, speaking with honesty about the journey is, is incredibly important. Um, it, you know, even the parts that, that you've, you know, where you've made terrible mistakes. In fact, weirdly, sometimes making mistakes is the greatest contribution you can make because right. others learn from them. Um, right. So I think there's an integrity and honesty piece. Um, there's clearly a, a, you know, living, you know, the actions rather than the words. You know, right. it's one thing to be a thought leader, as they say. It's yeah. another thing to get out there and give it a go and, and do it. Right. Um, I think um, uh, humility um, it stands a bit with truthfulness for me, but um, the minute that you fall into arrogance, you stop listening. Right. Um, so uh, it's, it's, I think, really, really uh, deep uh, authenticity comes from always, always learning and listening. Right. Uh, but yeah, then you know you have to model it. Um, you, uh, it's not about telling people what to do. It's it's about inspiring them right. by being you know the best model that you can be. And um, and if all, if you manage to get all that right, yeah. <laughs> then yeah. hopefully you're going to affect some change. But I love the fact that you have skills that can affect change in the world. You know because it's powerful. Branding is powerful. Telling a great story is powerful if you do it with absolute honesty and yeah. you do it in a way where people come away saying, gee, I could do that too. Um, I've, I've thought, ironically, you know, if you think about it, it's, it's probably the easiest brand job in the world. If, you're, if you have somebody like Audette XL standing in front of you, I mean, I'd have to basically fall off a post to not be able to brand somebody like you because it, it, you've, just, you've got this thing going on that I don't have to invent that you're the, the quicker picker-upper or the, you know, the uh, shinier shoe shine, you've got this thing. So, you know, it, it, ironically, I think that going forward, brands that do embrace authenticity might actually have an easier go of it. Ah, uh, you're so right, isn't it? You put, you're touching on such an interesting point um, because it's really hard work to be an image. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like they tell you when you're a little and they say, you know, don't lie because you can never remember what your lies are or not because, but you know, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, I decided very early in my adult life that I could only be myself. And it was mm-hmm. quite a risk to decide that because, you know, there are ways that society pushes you to conform. The way you dress, the way you speak, um, the people that you uh, uh, may associate with, all the rest of it. Right. Anyway, I decided pretty early on I really was hopeless at being anything other than myself right. and have discovered weirdly that being myself and, you know, carving my own path mm-hmm. through all those mistakes I've made, all those times I've fallen down, has been the strongest 
easiest thing that I could ever have done. Um, and so uh, it's, it is a very strange thing. And actually, I think there's another very interesting topic of discussion around this, which is what does it say about leadership now, the state of leadership in the world, yeah. that simply being authentic, simply being yourself is somehow a huge badge of honour. Isn't that crazy? Well, I Isn't mean, you look, you look at political parties and you and you look at the the way they just are, they're slaves to the polls and it turns yes. them into these automatons, right? And they're spin doctors. Yeah. And yeah. and you know when you actually hear somebody speak, you people have an enormously good set of instincts about who's real and who's not. Yeah. And and when you hear someone speaking, you know, on point messaging and spinning, every bone in your body says, you know, that's just it's uh, crap. Know, that's just yeah. yeah. Well, like, yeah, it was another word. I was just trying to look for a word that wasn't a swear word, and I was having yeah, exactly. trouble. Yeah, but you're Australian. <laughs> you're supposed to be swearing, for God's sake. Exactly. You've done extremely. You've done extremely well. Half an hour without swearing. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, exactly. Congratulations. That's because my mother's in the in the next room, and she always puts me up on it when I do. Oh man. So, final question. Final question. Yeah. Um, five years from now, you're standing on a stone. You're looking backwards at this yeah. magical thing that you've created. What yeah. is it? What does the next five years look like? Oh, gee, that's a nice question. If I'm standing on a stone, I hope it's a stone on the top of a mountain. I've got my arms in the air and the sun's pouring down and I've you know, got a big beaming smile on my face because right. life has been a joyous, joyous journey. Right. Um, and if I'm looking back, the next five years that for us, I'm now going to look forward the next five years, they're about bringing home everything that we've tried to do in the last 17 right. uh, to not only do deeper and better service to more people in need, but to have really, really proved out that anybody, anybody can do the same as we've done and to be helping people do that. Fantastic. Uh, and if we're there, then, you know, I'm going to be really happy standing on that mountain, I'll tell you. Uh, it also it also strikes me, you know, a part of humility is saying, you know, I don't have a clue where this is going to go. I, I know that we're on to something good, but the world is just shifting and you'd be arrogant to say, this is exactly where we're going to go because yeah. things do shift so quickly. Yeah, life does kind of blow back your hair sometimes yeah. and you don't see things that happen exactly. that you don't see coming. You are right about that. Exactly. That's so. what makes a good leader. That's what makes a good, resilient, future-proof organization. You know, you can see it. Yeah. You can see that you can't see. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, that's really true. I, right. if I, I often wonder, I just end on this as an entrepreneur, whether, you know, if I had been able to see ahead when I started, right. you know, all the pitfalls, all the tears, all the things we would do wrong, yeah. all the things I wouldn't know, you know, whether I would have been brave enough to give it a go. So, you know, well, that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. Nobody right. would be an entrepreneur if they saw it was coming. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. now, so listen, uh, Odette, who do you need? Um, this is going to be going out to a lot of people. Uh, who do you need in your organization? Oh, gee, that's a nice question. Um, well, I, you know, I need anybody who's an A grader who wants to affect change in the world, who's got financial services skills or development skills. Okay. Um, you know, so, but but also, you know, if anybody is interested in looking at what we've done, go online, have find us, um, Adara Group, or find me. Um, you know, we will, uh, there will be a time when once we get this nailed down in Australia, this, this latest expansion, where I will be wanting to find really key connectors 
mm-hmm. in other places, particularly the states, um, to help bring this model, uh, you know, to a wider group, to the wider world. So, yeah, people who are keen on what we do. I Also, anybody who's looking to, to do um, uh, international development work, to fund international development work, who's looking for a really, really great INGO, mm-hmm. call us up because we are always looking for um, partners who who don't want to reinvent the wheel that want to stand beside us. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, really keen to talk to those folks too. Awesome. Odette, it's been a pleasure. You're an inspiration. Thank you so much. Oh, Mark, delight to talk to you. So All have right. a glass of wine now for your night and I'm going to go and have a cup of coffee for my day. <laughs> awesome. Talk to you soon. <laughs> You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the show about brands that are resilient enough to thrive and survive in today's crazy world. If you want to know more about Audette Excel, drop by her website, adaragroup.org. That's A-D-A-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.org. And if you want to know what I'm up to, drop by my site, markstoiber.com. That's M-A-R-C-S-T-O-I-B-E-R.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>